Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time-traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of scripture in search of precious treasure, timeless, life-giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are, and how the story of everything really is His story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. And we are on with Todd Chipman. And Todd, thanks for joining the podcast here on Adventures in Theology. We have quite a few things to discuss today, but first and foremost, before any agenda, just so myself and even the audience can get more acquainted with you, just give us a little uh, introduction to who you are, what you do, and yeah, where people can find you. Pleasure to be with you, Braden and Adventures in Theology listeners. Uh, I pastor in Kansas City, Kansas, and uh, Kansas City is one of those cities that's divided in half by a river, so Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, and I teach at Midwestern Seminary on the Missouri side of the state line, so it's one city you wouldn't know you're in two different states, but uh, just uh, the lay of the land here, if folks look up addresses, sometimes that can be confusing, so they see that in the book, uh, Kansas City, Kansas, and then Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, uh, been in Kansas City for about 20 years, was converted as a college student at the University of Nebraska, and the Lord's leadership led me to teaching and to pastoring and seminary and then pursuing uh, the, the PhD in New Testament. And my most recent book here, Scripture Storyline, a, an introduction to biblical theology. I try to help folks, especially uh, pastors, have a uh, a concise resource to connect the dots between the Old and New Testaments, but also those who want to read the Bible biblical theologically. So looking at the Old Testament and the New, and that is the system I've developed here in Scripture Storyline. Awesome. Thanks for that introduction. I, I guess I want to ask first uh, as well, do you have any favorite classes you like to teach? You know, folks will ask me that at times, Braden, it seems like the one I just left or the one I'm going to on that day. I, I teach New Testament Greek, and I, I enjoy those, probably the, the exegesis classes. I think most folks who teach biblical studies would say that exegesis classes are their favorites because students have already had a foundation of the languages. They know kind of how it works, and we're right into Scripture. Yeah, I've been tutoring someone actually in biblical Greek for over a year now and it's been fun to walk through the stages to see like the development of where okay the elementary concepts are here but now we're getting to the syntax and how how it really enriches the study of the text so more to that exegesis side and it's exciting um to participate in that with someone else seeing the light bulbs go off i've always enjoyed that aspect of study new testament greek is um you know academically what i've specialized in as well. Um, so it's, it's really great. I can totally understand where you're coming from watching those light bulbs go off for others as you put it together. But I like what you said there too. Uh, you know, it's what you were just thinking about and then it's what you're heading into as far as what classes you really enjoy teaching. And I'm sure um, uh, one more thing I really wanted to ask you, because I love when I get to talk to someone who's both, you know, a professor in seminary and a pastor how do you, as just an individual, help bridge that gap between academia and the church? 
a few different uh, methods that I use. And then some of it is just the Lord's calling on someone's life whose gifting is in teaching. It's not uncommon that, that they're pastoring, but there may be outlets for teaching at a seminary or a school, or they just develop classes in their church. It's just their bent in, in what they do. For me, the, the methodology is that I try as a pastor to be a, a good teacher when I'm in the pulpit or in other contexts so that teaching gifting is coming out. And when I'm on campus, I, I naturally take an interest in students and, and I, I don't really work at it. It's just who I am. If I find a need, I'm praying for them or trying to follow up or connect with them. And so trying to think with them in terms of pastoral care, but also if, if I see a certain gifting in a student, I just naturally go to them and say, hey, I think you should start doing this sort of in a shepherding way that's not just pastoral care, but directing their lives. I always give a caveat, hey, I'm not your pastor, unless they are at my church. And then I really say, hey, I think you should do this. Or uh, why are you doing that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it kind of goes both ways. One uh, avenue that, that has helped me, as well as I have a, a prayer system that I pray uh, th for, for specific issues in my church regularly, in my own life, and also for students and for uh, our seminary, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Pray for different classes and, and folks who are in those classes. And that helps me to bridge the two because prayer is a pastoral ministry. But I've also found even in academics, uh, the Lord is living and he's concerned about what books are written. He is concerned about how ideas are communicated in a classroom. So I try to pray about that and let him lead in that avenue as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, it really sounds like you uh, have that, um, that ancient or the older model of the pastor theologian kind of ingrained in you. And yes. it's cool to see. Yeah. It's very fun. Yeah. I, I tell folks, I kind of live at Disneyland. I, every day is exciting <laughs> and it's just going to the next ride, but I'm still in the theme park. Oh, I love that. I, it's, it's great to also hear that you really enjoy what you do. That's awesome. And so now um, I want to transition a little bit into, well, the main agenda for today. So uh, for you listeners, if you want to check out Todd's book, I will have a link down below in the show notes. And But yeah, it's from Fontes Press, and it's called Scripture Storyline. You can't see it here, but I'm holding onto a copy right here. I admittedly have not had a big chance to really dig through it. I've only had a few chances to skim through it. But uh, I, and I can't wait to hear from you on this, but I'm excited about it because um, it really looked like it was a very thoughtful approach to um, revamping a Bible reading plan with also providing commentary and connections as to why the passages are laid out the way they are. So I guess giving just a synopsis and then I'll certainly we'll have further questions, but give a synopsis a, lot, a little bit about what this is inside the contents of it. You've hit it, Braden. It, it's a twofold resource. It is a Bible reading companion where all of Scripture is broken into 313 units so that someone who wanted to read through the Bible in a year, six days a week, could pick this volume up and follow along just one section after another, one of these 313 units each day. The average unit of, of reading is about three to four chapters per day, now, sometimes a little longer sometimes a little less, but uh, I've broken it up that way so that the average reader could, could read through their Bible and then even just skim through the notes here and appreciate the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's, that's my aim. 
And that's my understanding of, of biblical theology. There are different nuances with the definition of biblical theology, and various scholars will emphasize one aspect or another, but generally all agree that there's an historical progressive revelation of Scripture, Genesis, to the book of Revelation, and that that needs to guide how we understand all of it, so that what happened earlier is a framework for what happens later. And what happens later is best understood if we know what happened earlier. And we have specific stitches, if you will, that connect Old Testament and New Testament. They're specific passages. The impetus for this volume was in 2006. I'm preaching in my church and started to preach through Genesis on Sunday mornings. And it was going well, and I tell this in the, the introduction mm -hmm. of the book. I did going well, that. enjoying it, but uh, along the way, it quickly is easy for a preaching pastor, someone doing a Bible study uh, in Genesis, for the patriarchs just to become moral figures. And we look at their lives with a moral grid. Here's where Abraham lied. Here he lied again. <laughs> and that, that's helpful. I think that's part of the application of the patriarchs. But at the same time, Sunday evenings, back in 2006, I was preaching through Galatians. And about the same time as I was in Genesis 15, I was in Galatians 3, where Paul quotes Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And Paul isn't so concerned about Abraham's moral failures, but his faith. And that faith is a framework for understanding Christianity here in, in Galatians, and justification, and what it means to be one of God's people, and Jew-Gentile distinctions, and non-distinctions, and how all of that is working out, and it, it just set me on a course of thinking Old Testament to New Testament, and I began to do some research and, and think about biblical theology. It's about that time that I began to have a grid for this scripture storyline, so it can be used in terms of a Bible reading companion, but it can also be used as a commentary or, or a resource. Let's say someone, a member of your church or, or one, of, one of your listeners here, wants to do a Bible study in the Minor Prophets. Boy, they recognize these are neglected books of the Old Testament. Mm, yeah, I sure. want to study Haggai. Well, one of the, the issues that we recognize is that Haggai, if you just unpack it briefly, the New Testament comes right out. Zechariah as well. Major themes. Uh, Habakkuk, uh, right there. We have the New Testament unfolding from these minor prophets. Well, Scripture Strong can be a great resource because wherever that minor prophet is quoted in the New Testament, I write about that there in Haggai, in the section on Haggai. So I write a brief summary of what's happening in that book and then where it trajects into the New Testament, where it's quoted at, I, I unpack that. Uh, so, for instance, uh, Haggai 2.6, the shaking of heavens and the earth there for the second temple audience who's, who's come back and building their temple and God's promises. The author of Hebrews quotes that in, in Hebrews chapter 12. And folks may find some interesting links there, and I try to tease those out. Just one example.
No, that's, that's great. And what I like about your type of book too, is it's both the resource that you can read from cover to cover. And it's the one that I would recommend having on your shelf, having accessible and nearby. That way you can pull it down. You're like, you know what? I'm going to be leading a Bible study in Isaiah or something. Maybe something that the historical cultural background is a little bit uh, less familiar than others and get a lay of the land, like you said, and showing the intertextuality and the connections to the whole biblical story at once. So I was flipping through it this morning and I really appreciated it. It was, it was very clear. It was succinct. It was easy to follow mm. of like, oh, okay. Like this does help ground where we are in the Bible because, you know, even if you're just going to teach one particular text, if you're teaching topically and you're going to be jumping to a few different passages, you still want to do justice to the text and make sure that you're not taking it out of context, right? And so one of the beauties of this kind of book too is that you can go there and get the lay of the land of that biblical book and make sure that you understand kind of what was going on and gave rise to the text, but also how that fits into the great big story. So I just thought that was wonderful. That's awesome, brother. That's very encouraging to me. And when I think about uh, even New Testament books, so I mentioned Haggai or Hosea or Zechariah, a, a minor prophet that your listeners may want to jump into and use something mm -hmm. like Scripture Storyline. But we could take New Testament books. For instance, I think many Christians would be surprised how dependent 1 Corinthians is on the Old Testament. There are multiple Old Testament citations and many allusions. I try to tease those out so that folks can see Paul's grid of thinking, even in addressing a very pagan culture like the believers who were in Corinth. Yeah, no, I, I want to make a slightly bold statement here. And for my audience, as um, I try to encourage lots of resources here, and as you're building a library of resources, I want to highly, highly recommend buying this book and having it among your library, because I think it's that important. Sometimes you get a commentary that's going to take you deep into the weeds, of a text and that's wonderful let's certainly do that but then having a one volume book like this that not only can be used for planning out a devotional reading of the scripture for the calendar year or something like that but something you can continually return to to survey the land as it will then i just think it's a necessary resource and so uh, it really does apply whether you're the everyday Christian or the pastor who's busy or the academic who needs to have that resource ready and available. It's, it's just a quality book with a, a great idea behind it. And I'm surprised that no one had written something this clear on this topic yet. Thank you, Raiden. So, uh, I do want to now uh, take a few minutes. And, you know, something you keep mentioning is that you really enjoy drawing the connections between the Old and New Testament, which I think is uh, great too, because too often they're presented as well, a dichotomy where there's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. There's a sharp line between the two. And sometimes that's not very helpful, especially when we're trying to do good biblical theology and see the progressive revelation of God, as you said. So how about this? Do you want to share maybe just a, a few, maybe one or a few uh, like big grand narrative themes that you like to draw the connections on? Maybe showing the cover to cover connection on certain topics. I'll love to give you a little freedom to hear, but yeah, show us some of the ones you like to talk about. Yes, and the the book, it doesn't quite do uh, the, the grid quite as much of a theme, but specific references. Right. Um, there, there are some uh, resources that will go a bit more thematic. I've tried to look just at, at specific reference, but what I can do with that is, for instance, coming back to 1 Corinthians for a moment. Here's, here's, a, here's a place where 
Paul's use of the Old Testament is purposed and uh, it's quite remarkable, really. So Jeremiah 9, uh, 23 to 24, those two verses, Paul quotes a section of that in 1 Corinthians 1. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Mm -hmm. Lord. Yeah, yeah. And then again in 2 Corinthians 10. So he, he frames his Corinthian correspondence on this quote from Jeremiah 9 about boasting. And in Jeremiah 9, let the one who boasts boast in this, that he knows me and understands me, that I am the Lord who ex- exercises justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Well, Paul is taking up that, that context of God's justice, God's righteousness and boasting and putting it right in the cultural context of Corinth, where boasting is a part and parcel of the day. So he's, he's taking this Old Testament text in a specific reference and framing his whole Corinthian correspondence around that. Uh, it's, it's just remarkable when you yeah. see those, those kinds of connections. Mentioned a moment ago, uh, Genesis fifteen six and Paul's use of that in Galatians 3. Uh, we see that same idea in Romans and the just living by faith. And looking at that specific text in the way it unfolds in the New Testament provides a grid for the, the manner in which God's people live, that, that we live in a faithful way to him and, and by faith unto him and faith in Christ. And that is the rubric for being one of God's people and not works of the law. Uh, the, perhaps the, the most frequently cited text is specifically in the New Testament, Psalm 110.1. The Lord yep. said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We can look at how Jesus uses that in the Gospels, how Paul uses it, how the author of Hebrews uses it. And it, again, it becomes just a window And what we have here is an opportunity to think specifically about connecting points of old and new. So someone who is wanting to look at at now and and maybe a bit of a skeptic, I don't necessarily see these these connections. We can look and say, no, look right here. This verse is used here and we can tease out those two contexts. Maybe one other passage just that comes to mind that is very surprising how frequently this occurs in the New Testament is Psalm 69 a psalm about uh, the, uh, the psalmist suffering and so forth. It Just little phrases uh, in the passion accounts. Uh, Jesus uses it in John 15. And it, it's surprising how this psalm provides a structure for uh, the, the New Testament and Messiah's suffering. Yeah, no, on that note, actually, I have a question of how you'd read a certain passage because um, I'm sure you address it in this book. I haven't had a chance to look at this yet. But so speaking of those connections between the Testaments, uh, isn't it Psalm 22, where uh, from the cross, Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's uh, from the cross, but he's citing Psalm 22. Uh, what's kind of the connection there? Because obviously, uh, you know, one of the things we learn when we're trying to learn how to study the Bible is, you know, taking in light the context of scripture. And then the fascinating thing sometimes is you can see how easy it is to see the connections from the old and new. But sometimes a passage like that, for example, it's like, well, wait. Why, why did Jesus uh, 
instead of just even maybe just saying something completely original, why did he choose to uh, clearly cite a passage, or at least why do the gospel writers capture Jesus citing something from uh, the Psalms? Yes, and especially a psalm, well, and not just especially, psalms that are ubiquitous with suffering. Mm-hmm. And I think one yeah. of the ideas that uh, is on the evangelist's mind, and I think these are the words of Jesus as well, but just broadening Correct. out a, a bit, one of the, the goals of the evangelist is to portray the Messiah as one who suffered. And that's sort of the problem because the expectation is the Messiah is going to suffer, though there are passages we understand that lead to that a little bit, Isaiah 53. Um, but generally, Messiah is going to conquer Psalm 2, Psalm 110. He's not losing. <laughs> he, he's not on a cross. And there's a sense in which the Psalms and the suffering motifs in the Psalms provide the evangelists, and I think Jesus, those are his words, but the evangelists are remembering those, and they want to emphasize that Messiah's suffering is not a new concept. It was there. We just didn't see it yet. And now, look, yes, there are instances of this. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, where Jesus is suffering, and that suffering has biblical roots to it right right here. Yeah, and this is an example, would you say, of typology as well, like between David and the Christ? Yes, there, there are instances of that, and, and David, uh, the, the one who established a pattern for Jesus, both in terms of his uh, conquering, uh, we, we would understand this even from the angel's message to Mary in Luke 1, very specific there, and I, I note the sort of militant Davidic framework there. Uh, but, but also David's suffering. And what we see in spaces like Psalm 22 is that suffering is physical, but it's also emotional. It's, there's an emotional distancing. There's a mocking and so forth, and that, that plays out here. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, personally, I'm excited to use this resource as well and see more of those connections. Uh, I think that's great. And so now uh, one thing I'd like to transition into as well is um, just kind of tapping into your expertise as a professor and pastor and just sharing with the audience a little bit more about um, maybe some tips or advice or just wisdom as to how you would encourage uh, everyday Bible readers to better engage God and engage the text of the Bible um, as they yeah, are trying to make more of a discipline of reading scripture. Mm. I think it's helpful to use a system like scripture storyline or, or like another system where you're, you're sensitive to context and trying not to jump around too much in scripture where there aren't definite connections. And that's what one of the reasons I wrote scripture storyline is so that right. you can see the connections um, and, and there are other systems that, that can help that as well. So try to see those connections. Second, it's helpful to do this with groups of people, small groups, uh, Sunday Bible classes, Sunday school classes, where you are doing or, or with your family, reading a set plan, even if it's not a long-term plan. Let's just do this for three weeks together. We're not going to make a forever commitment. <laughs> you know, uh, this isn't marriage, but let's, for three weeks, let's read Matthew in some system and maybe use Scripture Fine or another kind of resource. But having some structure to it with another person can be very helpful or, or just in, in your family, again, with a small group at church or a Sunday school class. 
uh, can be very helpful. Finally, I encourage folks to, to use the scriptures to pray. So if whatever you're reading that day, find a theme or two or a verse or two and use that to prompt prayer. Uh, that way you're, you're sort of responding to God in your prayers. So he yeah. initiates through his word and we're responding and taking whatever our concerns are to the Lord in light of what he has said can be very helpful. Yeah, you're certainly getting at this, but maybe uh, it'd be cool to hear you elaborate on this a little bit here, but how does like engaging God in the Bible um, kind of give rise to maybe some of your favorite spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices? Yes, I mentioned earlier that I have a practice and it, uh, some folks may think it's kind of rigid, but it, it helps me to stay focused and to try to do well in the two domains of my life with church and with uh, scholarship of, of praying. So each morning when I'm reading through and I use, I use the scripture storyline I, I have for a dozen years. And, uh, I, don't, I don't read the commentary quite so much every day, though sometimes I do. I go back, did I, what did I say there? <laughs> I mentioned what I said. I yeah, can't remember. For sure. Um, so go back, but I use that then as a theme to to pray, to uh, follow up on. So right now uh, in, in Ephesians 4 through 6, just today, and thinking about the body life that Paul uh, envisions for, uh, for the church and thinking about the way that he describes relationships in the church and even, even the way he describes the devil as one who seeks to divide. And I do write in Scripture Storyline there in Ephesians 4 through 6, how his framework of the devil, who is one who seeks to divide God's people, we're not un unaware of his schemes uh, of division and speaking the truth to one another. Don't lie. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Uh, there's a framework that begins in Genesis 3 of what Satan tries to do. And it's to divide people from God and each other. And that theme follows all the way through. And so I, I pray today for unity in the body, unity at church, unity even among students uh, and, and in an academic setting, that the Lord give unity and strengthen us. And it is fascinating. We, Paul's language for the church that he recognizes local congregations, but one body, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, and uh, diverse people and Lord, how can, how can I be humble today so that I can be a unifier? Those yeah. kinds of prayers and for uh, my church and students uh, as well. Well, what you did even right there, drawing the connections between Ephesians 4 through 6 back to Genesis 3, just goes to show like really the harmony of Scripture's message. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of coherence behind the grand narrative, as you would say, um, mm -hmm. from cover to cover. And I, I think seeing those connections is just so important. Um, as you've clearly laid out. Now, I do have a kind of a random off the cuff uh, question just to ask, but like, you know, is there a certain theological topic that just has been, you know, you've been thinking a lot more like, you know, about recently that's just been on your mind, on your heart, something you're investigating? Uh, what is, I guess, uh, driving your curiosity in the realm of theology right now? I have been working a bit on the words of women in scripture and somewhat of a biblical theology that's specific to uh, words of women in scripture, what they say. Uh, my impetus for this is, is somewhat the, the research behind scripture storyline. Uh, it's not so much a cultural response to 
uh, women in church life today. It's not that at all. I try to give that caveat. It's more mm -hmm. uh, just looking at what women say, because it, it is fascinating to think about the connections between Hannah and Mary, and mm -hmm. many folks have written on that. Um, but beyond Hannah and Mary, just in a comparison, there it seems that when women speak in Scripture, uh, if we have their recorded words, not always, but, but in many places, they are talking about God's redemptive plan. That's what's on there. And it's, it's true to some degree with Hannah. It's definitely true with Mary. Um, but uh, even, even Sarah's laughing uh, mm -hmm. in, in Genesis, am I going to have a child? She laughs. Well, that laughter is uh, casting a long shadow with a son of promise who fits in Galatians 4 mm -hmm. and becomes a framework for Paul to write about two covenants. And uh, so there's a lot there. Yeah, no, certainly. And actually, on that note, I think sometimes a lot of the requests that we see of women in their prayers or in their calling out to God actually is grounded in seeing that grand narrative. They're mm -hmm. like praying for something specific, but then they like broaden it out because God, you are doing this magnificently large cosmic thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's crazy how like th th their, their request or their acknowledgement or their commentary on what they're seeing God doing in this very specific manner is in light of this much more cosmic scope. So mm -hmm. I think that's something to be appreciated. Mm. So um, as we begin to close out our all too short time together today, uh, I guess I would just ask you to encourage the audience with, you know, like this is a podcast called Adventures in Theology. How do you see that in your life in the sense of following Jesus being the greatest adventure? We are, uh, as believers, we're uh, walking day by day by faith. And there are new challenges each day. And the word is the guide for theology. And so we uh, we sort of wake up each day ready to respond to what God has revealed in his word, and we're ready to press forward with that. Uh, I think we see this in our families, our churches, our world today. Uh, each day we, we just put one foot out of bed or one foot out the door, and there are challenges, and it's an adventure to trust God, to, to recognize his sovereignty in the spheres of our lives and be faithful to him. In, in response, to not overreact, I think to generalize things. Many, many of us in our day are tempted to overreact one way or another to so much information we have coming toward us. And, and it's an adventure to be a moderate person, to be calm, to be at peace. And I think Paul's injunctions in, in Titus and Peter's in 1 Peter 2 in a cultural sense, to be peaceable, to be sober-minded, and uh, it's an adventure to be sober-minded today. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's not an, uh, we often think of adventure as something crazy, whitewater rafting. That's what the world's doing, you know, in a sense, just constantly uh, uh, looking for something wild. It's, it's an adventure to be sober-minded, mm. steady, and that helps our churches and uh, the next generation to have a pattern of God's greatness and sovereignty and, and faithfulness despite uh, our, our hopes maybe being dashed around us or conflict uh, in the world. Yeah. So to summarize that a little bit too, it's an adventure to stay the course. Yes. Yeah. Love it. That's good. Actually, one last bonus question as we head out to, because Advent is right around the corner and I have been already listening to Christmas music. What's your favorite Christmas song and why? Oh, yes. 
Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God album is one of my favorites. I was listening to that over and over, actually, when I first started to conceive a scripture storyline. So it's an older album. Uh, it mm. goes back uh, about 15 years or so. But listen to it every year. And he does a live stream concert from the Ryman Theater in Nashville every year. You can live stream it and watch it. Our church has done that or some of our small groups have. And just a rich album with biblical theological themes, a, a hilarious song on the album. Um, he takes the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 and sets that to music. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob in. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's a great, great song, uh, very unique. But my favorite on that album is Be Near to Us. Mm. Uh, it's um, it, it's a, a longing and a lament from uh, Isaiah's perspective and Jeremiah's perspective as they see Israel and then Judah go into exile. Uh, just uh, so, so rich and uh, be near to us, Yahweh, hear our cry. Um, yeah. And then the longing for Jesus. Yeah, no, the Andrew Peterson has not had enough attention, in my opinion, from many Christian circles. And he writes with such biblical depth and awareness that is something to appreciate from a musical artist. So great suggestion. I'll link that in the show notes too. But everyone, Todd Chipman has been with us today. I encourage you to buy his book and stay connected. Hey, yeah, is there any way they can stay connected with you? Do you prefer uh, people stay connected in any sort of way? That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Todd R. Chipman on Facebook as well. Uh, T. Chipman at mbts.edu or seminary's website. You can uh, connect with me there. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'll send uh, a link that all that down below. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great chatting with you. My pleasure, Brady.